Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. But I'm giving you guys a little sneak peek what's to come in this book. Matthew is my personal favorite gospel. It's my favorite gospel because it's modeled on the Old Testament and the Torah. It goes through different phases, um, explaining Jesus' life and his ministry, his teachings, and his resurrection. It's modeled that way intentionally. And uh, by the time we get to around chapter 24 and 25, Jesus is on his way to the cross, well and truly closer and closer each day it's coming. And he begins to talk about what to do after that moment. He makes preparation, um, which is fitting because everything he's talking about is about preparedness in the spiritual world. In 24, he gives a parable of the fig tree, about his words not passing away. By verse 36, he's talking about no one knowing the day or the hour of the Messiah's return. He talks about how it was in the days of Noah, how people were eating and drinking and making merry and giving in marriage. And then the judgment came. Uh, Then he finishes and says, this is why you also must be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And by 45 and 51, Jesus talks about the consequences of not being prepared, how, you know, being unprepared as a Christian or someone who identifies as a Christian, the consequences of misusing what you've been giving in the master's household is severe. It says that they'll be teared apart that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is the place of a servant who is not diligent in the house of the Lord. And he talks in these parables throughout the Gospels because he gives a literal story with a surface-level interpretation. And then behind it, there's what described, as Charles Spurgeon would have said it, a vein of ore that, that the, if you look through the scriptures and you see the words of Jesus, you can see and mine there forever and never run dry. It, it is just a gold mine of wisdom because he uses imagery and words to paint a picture so that even, uh, even those who could get the surface level interpretation would have to see and, and, and read through it. If you're reading through the parables and you have to read it twice, it's a good thing. It means you're reading them correctly because this one has always confused me. This, this parable we're about to get into today in 25 with the 10 virgins, at first I didn't understand what it, what it meant. But, and I, even to this morning, I, I thought I had an answer. But in worship, it really came, came to me. It really started getting clarity. It, it became more than just a, uh, an intellectual exercise of what could I get out of the text. But instead, it became application. What has this text done to me? What is the word of God doing in my life? And As we read these parables and as we go through them, I want you to look at some major themes. One, what is this saying on the surface? What's behind the surface? What's the implication of it, right? And then how do I apply it to my life? So the surface level story, what the theme is trying to convey is the principles, and how does that theme apply to your life? And so it starts in uh, chapter 25, verse 1. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were sensible. And when the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. 
but the sensible ones took the oil in their flasks with their lamps. And since the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, here's the groom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps, but the foolish ones said to the sensible ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. The sensible ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell and buy oil for yourselves. When they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived. Then those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. But he replied, I assure you, I do not know you. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. That's the word of the Lord. When he opens up and he describes this thing called the kingdom of heaven, Jesus invokes that a lot. And I think it's just important we define our terms here. He, he opens up a few things. The kingdom of heaven, ten virgins, lamps, and a groom. The kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins in the sense that those ten virgins represent the church. That's the kingdom of heaven. It's God's people. It's what God has rightful domain over. It is that which God controls, brought to earth, and that is the church. The church is the kingdom of heaven. And note its description is like ten virgins with lamps, waiting for the groom. I note that as far as physical characteristics, it doesn't say anything about them. Uh, it doesn't tell you whether they were um, tall or short. It doesn't tell you whether they were wealthy or whether they were privileged or whether they were low or whether they were high in status. It doesn't tell you what political party they were affiliated with. It doesn't tell you what they identified as or what their nationality was. The only identifying mark that mattered to God in describing what the church should be is that they were set aside for his use, for his coming, for the group. That is the defining mark of the church. That's how it's defined. It's God's people who wait upon him for his purposes. They went out to meet the groom. And five of them were foolish and five were sensible. Now this is the character judgment that distinguishes them two. So within this group of people, the church, there are two kinds of people. There are those who are foolish and those who are sensible. Now, raise your hands. How many of you would like to believe you know sensible Christians? I do. All right. The rest of you, how many of you would like to see, you know, say, you don't have to raise your hands, but you should. This is a Pentecostal church. How many of you have met foolish Christians? Both hands up for me. I'm one of them. I can wave for myself, all right? I notice people in the back aren't raising your hands. You've met me. You know you've met some fools, okay? Look, the truth is that even within the magisterium of the church, even within our little building, even within our community, there are wise and foolish people as part of that community. Right? Not everybody who bears the title of Christian necessarily has that character, right? The distinguishing mark then between within the church are those who have wisdom and discernment and those who are fools who neglect that wisdom and discernment. And what it describes what they do with what they have. See, all the virgins are there. They're all part of the wedding party. They're all present and they all have lamps. But it's what they do with that presence and what they do with the lamps that matters you see, when the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take any oil with them. But the sensible ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. And I was thinking about this a lot. I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? What does oil represent? It seems to be really important to the story. I mean, besides just burning things for light, why, why, why do they need it? And I was thinking, okay, well, it's a wedding procession, and it's probably later in the day. And 
Oil tends to be used as a symbol for any number of things. In the Old Testament, oil was used to consecrate things. It was used to consecrate the tools of the temple. It was used to set apart the priesthood. Aaron, you'll remember, had oil running from his head down to his beard. Oil was that symbol of God's special set-apart anointing for his people to be used for him. The oil has so many uses in the ancient world. It was used medicinally as a heal. Well, guess what? The anointing of the Holy Spirit should heal you. It was used as a means of smelling nice and pleasant. It was used as a perfume. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit should make you more pleasant to be around. Nobody likes being around stinky people. All right? That was hard for me. I'm not always pleasant to be around. (laughs) Number three, oil is a lubricant. It loosens things up. It brings what was dead and still in its own strength to life with movement. The Holy Spirit should move you to be useful to God. Oil also provides heat. It was used for these lamps. The Holy Spirit should light up your life and give you heat and warmth even in a cold and dark world. Oil was used... As the catch-all, be-all, end-all of utility in the ancient world, it was magic, essentially. It was better than that. It was real. You could trust it. You could rely on it. And in the same way, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, his presence in our lives should also be felt and utilized. And that's the difference between a wise person in the church and a foolish person in the church, is one of them has the anointing of the Holy Spirit and acts on it, and the other one neglects to bring it. And I got to say, guys, it hurts because the foolish virgins appear to be having it all together. They're there, aren't they? They're with the rest of the bride party. They're of the 10, right? They seem to have together. They must have been dressed for the wedding. They had the lamps. They, they had all the trappings of religion and Christianity, But when it came to the substance of these things, they didn't bring it with them. They didn't bring the relationship of the Holy Spirit into their lives. They didn't have any of the warmth and anointing oil that was necessary to stick it out. And they were fools for it. Because the sensible ones took oil in their flasks with them even when they didn't need it. Because the groom, it says in verse 5, since the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Well, there's another difference you know, we all get to resting at times and there are seasons where you have to sleep. In fact, the church has probably been asleep and waiting for Jesus' return for, I don't know, 2,000 and some odd years, right? Yeah. Everybody rests. But those with oil rests on the merit of the Holy Spirit that they can rely on in the time of darkness when the sun sets and the groom comes. But those without oil rely only on their own merits and just being there. Yeah. Mm. Come on. The oil of the Holy Spirit is our hope and proof and profession of faith. It is the oil being present in our lamp that allows us to truly say we are part of the bridal party and we have the chosen calling of God to be used by him and to enter into his courts with praise and to await the groom's return. Showing up and trimming your lamp isn't enough. I spent so much of my life trimming my lamp. Sorry. And it would never be enough. 
if God had not, in his mercy and forbearance, granted me oil from his spirit, I would be stuck in gloomy darkness. And I would have no hope to rest on because my works are nothing but rags and filthy righteousness before the perfect example of the groom coming back. Sorry. It just it hits so close to home because this this isn't addressed to this isn't addressed to pagans. This isn't addressed to secular atheists. This isn't addressed to all the people I don't like outside the walls of the church. This is addressed to you and to me. We are those virgins. Yes. We were the people who were supposed to wait for Christ's return. And if you look at your life and you look at how you're living and you look at what it's characterized by, Many of us believe that just because we're in the bridal party, that characterizes us as a Christian. But what characterizes you as a Christian is if God uses you and is in your life. The groom is delayed. Everybody has moments of sleep. It gets dark sometimes. But without the Holy Spirit, you sleep in anxiety and misery. Because you have no light of your own to give. In the middle of the night, there was a shout. Here's the groom. Come out to meet him. And that verse is so hopeful for the Christian. Because the Christian knows that the groom has come and the wedding party is about to begin. But for those of us who do not have that oil, it is the most terrifying word ever uttered in the Bible. That the groom would come and judgment is coming. And you might not be part of it. Because when it was time to go, you thought you could just trim up your tree and be present and do your righteous works and sneak in through the back door. But it turns out that's not what qualifies you. Because all the virgins get up and they trim their lamps, but the foolish ones say to the sensible ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. The foolish virgins had enough oil, and they expected the groom to arrive when it was convenient for them. A Christian doesn't live his life as if God is at his convenience. He lives his life to be at the convenience of God. Yes. And I'm not preaching and yelling at you. I'm yelling at myself because so many times in my life, I lived as if God existed to be a duel for me. As if as if I somehow could dictate his will or his ways, or I could somehow manipulate him in doing what I wanted. And it's just not the case. Amen. It's just not the case that God lives at my whim and beck and goal. Mm -hmm. If anything, the Christian should live at God's whim and beck and call. Yeah. And then on top of it, to say, well, why don't you give us some of your own oil? Our lamps are going out. It wasn't theirs to give. No, there won't be enough for us, they say. And for you, go instead to those who sell and buy oil yourselves. 
can share about your faith. You can share about your relationship with God, but you cannot share your intimate relationship with God, with someone else. It does not matter how churchy you are. It doesn't matter how anointed they are, your friend is. It doesn't matter how godly your parents or grandparents were in the ultimate sense. Oh, don't get me wrong. Godly influences have a place. Intercession is a thing, but every intercession happens at the beck and call of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is the one who gives the oil. He's the one who pours out. He's the one who speaks in tongues too deep and too groaning for us to understand. No man ever did this. The Holy Spirit prays for us because we don't know how we ought to pray. If you believe that you're in the safe camp because you surround yourself with good Christians but you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not in the safe camp. You're just a spectator. Yes, 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 yes. I don't want my Christianity and my faith to be a spectator sport. Amen. I don't want to waste my life looking at other men be used by God. Whereas I sit there resting on the laurels that other saints and martyrs and preachers of the gospel and workers of righteousness have done for the Lord and think, oh, that was for me. That I could just mooch off them as if it wasn't a holy and pleasing sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. I don't want my life to be sent and spent thinking I was safe and I was righteous enough because I said the right things and sang the right songs and felt the right feelings. I want to know that the Holy Spirit was present with me, not just in the day when it was convenient, but in the twilight of my life when it gets dark. That's the time we need him most. That's the time we most have to have him. And you know what's sad? Is the virgins who needed more oil, they probably met when the sun was still up for the wedding. So many people meet the Lord in the morning of their life and they forget about him. And they don't restock up on him. And they don't maintain their supply of anointing and holy oil. They don't pray. They don't read the scriptures. They don't intercede (laughs) on their own behalf. They squander it and they think oh i'm fine i don't need god i have plenty of light look the sun is here look the world is my light i have plenty i don't need him and then when the sun sets they're left scrambling because they realize they don't have any light of their own to give and they go and they look for it so many people think that At the end of their lives, when they expect the groom is going to come back, they'll be like, well, I had my fun. I had my rest. I rested on my sins. I rested on my good works. I'm basically a good person. I'll be all right. And then when the groom comes, they're surprised they have no righteousness that the groom wants. Mm. You can trim your lamp all you want. It won't make up for oil. You can't replace the appearance of, of righteousness and, and try to substitute that for the real substance of it. You can't substitute oil for anything. There's no counterfeit to the Holy Spirit. Amen. He's real. Yeah. He talks. He intercedes for his people. He's that gentle comforter that comes in when you and my hearts and faculties are broken and twisted and dead in our sins. And he comes and he convicts us of it. And he moves us to be with him. And when we have him, we take him everywhere we go. Not just when it's convenient, but before we really need to light him up. Yeah. So many people want the oil when they're 
in church safe and sound in front of the pulpit or, or at the altar praying, but they won't take the oil into their workplaces. They won't take the oil into their families. They won't take the oil into uncomfortable conversations where they might have to share the gospel and God forbid look like a fool. They'll take the oil when they need it on their terms. But that's not how it works. That's not how anointing works. When King David was anointed, it wasn't convenient. He had to be called away from what he was doing. When God called King Saul, the guy was hiding. He didn't want to be king. Mm -hmm. Guess what? He got anointed. Flawed man as he was, he got anointed. When Abraham was called by God, it inconvenienced him. He had a whole life in Ur. Many people believe it would have been a wealthy business. His father was an idol maker. And when God called him, he had to leave the life of a settled city person and become a rural redneck walking around, wandering about with strange people in strange lands. And his only reliance was the promise of God. That's another part of the oil is the assurance of God's word. Every word in this book is Holy Spirit breathed. It's Holy Spirit inspired. It is true. Thy word is truth. Don't just wait until it's convenient to pull it out. And you know what's sad in verse 10? They go to buy some. But the ones who are ready are the ones who go with the groom. It went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Another scary phrase. Wonderful for us if we're in the party. Wonderful for us if we've maintained our oil. Wonderful for us if the Holy Spirit is working on us and we have the new birth. And God has called us to himself and we feel called to him. Wonderful if you embrace it and keep it close in the day and in the twilight of your life. Wonderful. But very terrible if you don't have any to speak of. Shut the door. Click. No second chances. Don't let God shut the door of your life before it's too late to grab your oil. Don't be shut out of the wedding party. It's going to be a great party. It'll be a celebration of everything we've been waiting for. The saved and the unsaved are both waiting for that party one day. But only one of them gets in. What's really scary to me about this is five, approximately half of the virgins didn't get in. Half of the people in the wedding party didn't get in. Not doing this to scare you guys, but... If a parable, this isn't the only time it happens, God also divides the sheep from the goats. Mm -hmm. And then in the next parable, one in three of the servants gets removed. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the numbers and stats are on it, but look at yourself. Which one do you want to be? Do you want to leave it to a coin flip or do you want your oil? (coughs) Being in the church doesn't assure salvation. In the church building. But being of the church, the people of God, that's our assurance. And I want to clarify what I mean by this. That doesn't come from having somebody give you a certificate. It doesn't come from you showing up and tithing, you know. It doesn't come from singing on a stage, though I love the worship team, love you guys. But it doesn't come from any of these surface level things. It doesn't even come from preaching behind a pulpit. Yeah. <clears throat> Salvation is of the Lord. Yes. yes. 
The burning heat doesn't come from you. It comes from God. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is a gift. It cannot be earned by your wages. Mm -hmm. Make sure you have the real thing before the door is shut on your life. And it says, later the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. Master, Master, open up. They repeat it to him. But he says, I don't know you. I assure you I do not know you. That's the other thing that's interesting is the ones with the oil he knew. The ones without it, God doesn't know, in part implying that he never knew you. If you're in the church and you don't have the oil, God has not yet known you. He wants to. You're here for a reason. But if you don't have the oil, God doesn't know you. Those with oil don't run out because God's an overflow. God's an abundance. Those with oil won't run dry if it's the oil of the Holy Spirit, not the oil of your own self-righteousness. That's why it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In this case, blessed are those who are poor in their own oil and rich in God's. I, it's convicting to me because my whole life I spent thinking I was, of course I was in the in the oil camp, of course I had the Holy Spirit, of course. Took it for granted until I realized that people with the Holy Spirit aren't using their own works as a justification for their relationship with God. And what I mean by that is, am I a Christian because God saved me or am I a Christian because I saved me? Am I a Christian because God granted me the lamp and the oil and invited me to the party? Or am I a Christian because I invited myself and want to be a wedding crasher? A lot of people think they can enter into the church, say the right songs, repeat the right words, and that puts them in. But God knows on the day of judgment who's invited and who's not because he's written every name in the book of life. He has a wedding list, you see. God isn't dumb. He's not like, you know, some... Some fool who forgets. God knows exactly who's to be at that wedding. God knows who's coming in and he won't accept somebody he doesn't know. And then Jesus ends, therefore be alert because you do not know either the day or the hour. What urgency. What urgency in the master's tone. What, what a warning to all of us here in this building. Me, you, the world, anybody who claims the title Christian, church people, anybody who likes to think of themselves as anointed, anybody who would love to be counted as the good and faithful servants. We don't know the day or the hour. But we don't have to. We just have to know the God who appoints that day and hour. Mm -hmm. It's an urgent, urgent warning. Don't be content to rest where you're at. Don't be content to sit on your own past victories that you think you've won in your own name and not the name of God. Mm -hmm. Don't Don't be content to waste your life watching other people go to a party 
and thinking, oh, I, I know when I associate with them, I can get in. The only person that's important you associate with is God. Mm-hmm. That's what gets you into the party. <coughs> he, he follows us up with two more parables, and I just can't help it, but in every single one of them, it ends with people being shoved into gloomy darkness. It just gets more and more intense. In the next parable, he talks about the men with talents, how... Two of the servants, they take what they are given and they double it. And then the third one just buries it in a field. And two of them believe that the master is going to reward him generously. They believe in the master's profit and his generosity. But the third one conceives of the master as a harsh and brutal tax master. That's the difference between people who are anointed and people who aren't. The people who are anointed know the generosity of God. They're looking forward to the party. The people who aren't think, I just have to avoid getting punished. They're connected for a reason. They're in here in order for a reason. There's a contrast. There's a lot to be said for the wise servants and the foolish servants because anybody could fit in either category. God knows your heart. You could fool me. You could fool everyone. You could fool your own family, but you can't fool the mind of God. He accepts no counterfeits. In the next one, he gets even more specific. He talks about the sheep and the goats and how what will happen when he eventually comes and what it will look like when he sits on his throne and how he'll separate the peoples. And he gives proofs for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he talks about how we treat each other. He talks about the king... Talking to those on the right, those who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. You know what's really funny about this? Oil was used for making food. Oil has been used to purify things. Oil has been used as a gift for those and guests who came in. Oil was used as a lubricant to loosen things, like in prison. These themes and these ideas, when you have oil, you can be of use to people. You can be of use to your master, God. But there's a difference between that being a proof as in I have earned my salvation versus that is a fruit of my salvation. The people who have the oil, the people who have been born again and believe in the Holy Spirit and believe in God on it accordingly. They love their neighbor as themselves. They help those imprisonment. They, they take people in who are weaker than them. They offer them drink and hospitality. There's real, genuine change in the heart of a believer. And all that change and all that love was intended to them before the foundation of the earth, before they ever had anything to say of it. So when you and I think we have something or think we have some sort of righteousness to boast of, we don't. That which we do was already intended for us by God. For the foundation of the world, God intended us to do good works. God had intended for us to meet him, to love him, to see him, to be in communion with him. And the fruit of that is good works towards others. And when we do something towards others, it is like doing it for God. But you know what doesn't equate right there? Doing it for yourself.
And then the contrast, those who don't have oil don't help the hungry. They don't give the thirsty. They treat the Lord and his people like a stranger. They don't clothe him and don't and leave him naked and, and don't take him in and leave him in prison to die. And they don't take care of him. And the answer is the same. It's, it's funny. They're judged by the same standard. How they treated other people is how God judges them. He, he treats them as if they had been treating him that the whole time. The ultimate judge you're measured against isn't how you treat your loved ones necessarily or how you treat, you know, strangers on the street. That's part of it, but it's ultimately how you're treating God. Because when you mistreat your neighbor who's made in the image of God, you're disrespecting God. When you're mistreating and abusing your gifts and you're not using them for his glory and you're using them for your own, you're neglecting God. People with real oil don't do that because they know it's not theirs to give and theirs to take. They know it's not other people aren't theirs to abuse. They know it's all for God's glory and not for them. They get to be part of the wedding. They aren't the center of the wedding. The center of the wedding is the groom. And I know it's been kind of heavy and hellfire and brimstone. And I know it seems short. But I feel like God reminded me in worship that it wasn't about the studying and it wasn't about what I've done so far and it wasn't about the works I've done. It was about him. And it's precisely when I feel most unworthy and when I feel most weak and when I feel least equipped and least prepared that God is ready to use me. Because I'm not relying on my own light or my own strength or my own works. I'm relying purely on him. Mm -hmm. If you have genuine real oil in your lamp, that you've been gifted by God in this church. You will be reliant on God to validate you. Mm-hmm. You will be reliant on his work in your life, not the works you do for yourself. Yep. And you will get into that party that great day when he comes back and you'll be ready with that shout. When you hear the groom is coming, you won't look at it in fear. You'll look at it in awe and happiness and celebration. And right now, the choice as to whether you want to be wise or a fool, whether you want to bring your oil and equip it and light your lamp or not, is yours. Do you want to burn with the Holy Spirit, with his light, or do you want to sit in gloomy darkness? Do you want to rely on your own ability or do you want to rely on the product of the oil and anointing of God? Do you want to burn for Jesus or burn apart from him forever? I want to burn for Jesus with the flame that burns but does not consume.
I want to die to myself. Because Jesus died for me. I want to be broken and smashed because God spared not his own son who was broken for me. And I want to be poured and overflowing with the oil that was given to his church for his purposes so they could make it through that dark night. And right now, the world is in a dark place. But only those with the oil will be able to light it up and see that Jesus is coming. I want to see him coming. And I want to rest in him and not myself. I will not rest in the power of my job. I cannot rest in my social circles. I cannot rest in relationship. I cannot rest in political parties. I cannot rest in anything of the world. I can't even rest in myself. But I can rest on the great oil of the Holy Spirit in my lamp. And it's available to you too. But search for it now. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened. Don't think it's fine, I'm in the neighborhood. I'm around. I can knock and be let in. No. Knock now. Yeah. Be that annoying neighbor who says, hey, can you help me, please? Help me with my debt. Give me a just verdict. Be like, be like the man who sells everything and buys the fields for the kingdom of heaven, the treasure. Sell yourself over to the gospel. Be born again. Don't settle for your old birth. It wasn't sufficient. Be part of the new birth, the new life, the new way. Don't settle for the old. The old was dead in its sins and trespasses. The new, the new grants life and liberty in Christ. That's the power of oil, folks. That liberty that comes from relying on the Son of God, not yourself. I've restated it, restated it over and over again because if anything, I need to hear it more than any of you. More than any of you, I need to hear this. Because it wasn't until just now that it struck me so hard that this is why God led me to this. I want my piety to be pure and real with the anointing of God not posturing for men. And I invite all of you to reflect on this as well and think of what God has given you and ask, am I relying on myself to trim my own lamp or am I filling it with the anointing of God? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.